Holy God, we confess that we don't much like silence, kind of like we don't like waiting. We would rather get on with things. We would rather fill up the space. We would rather fill up our time and fill up our ears. We'd rather keep on the go. But even in brief moments of silence, like what we just shared, we also have to confess that we need it more than we realize. Because our distraction, our noise, our on-the-go exhausts us. And we cannot outrun or outnoise our brokenness. And so we seek not distraction, but we seek you and the healing that only you can provide. We ask for the gift of awareness as we wait. Help us to be aware of your presence, even as we wait for you to come in your fullness. Help us to be aware of how you are already working healing in and around us, And help us to be aware of your invitation to participate in the healing work that you are doing. We ask this in the name and spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Kids ages kindergarten through fifth grade are invited to go with Pastor Hope for our children's sermon. Well, I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. The Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, we are in the second Sunday in the season of Advent. Advent is the season by which we anticipate the arrival of God, not in the way in which we expect, but in the way in which we all need. And uh, for the year 2019-2020, the church year 2019-2020, we've made a commitment to talk about these seasons in light of our need for healing. So I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, the, it will also be on the wall. By the way, my name is Chris. I get to be a pastor here. And uh, we want to read this text of hope, but uh, we also want to read this text of judgment together on this second Sunday in the season of Advent. And I'd like to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word for us this evening. Isaiah chapter 11, a famous, uh, a famous text. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, 
the nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. This is the word of God for the people of God. And let us say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Isaiah of Jerusalem writes this poem eight centuries before the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. And his, uh, his poem is wedged in the middle of a, a geographical and a historic catastrophe. And God's people in Judah find themselves in a unique position. This is a map right here. You can see where, go back if you would, Doug. Uh, you can see right here, this is Judah. And you can see the region next to the Mediterranean Sea. Now, in some ways, the issues that were going on in this day is the same old thing that's been happening for generation after generation. Another country is dominating the global landscape. This time, it's the mighty superpower called Assyria. And if you pull back on the map I first showed you, you can see this map of the region, and you can see where the Assyrians were. The Assyrians were a ruthless and violent people, and the whole world feared what they were capable of, including the small country of Judah. Now, much like uh, news headlines talk about today, talk about Russia or China, back in those days, the ticker tape that was scrolling across the evening news kept people informed of what was going on in Assyria. It was a mighty pagan nation that was on the war path with its sights on controlling the entire region. And needless to say, the kings of Judah were always worried about them. Well, the capital of Judah was Jerusalem, and it sat right in the middle of this threat. And the message comes to the prophet Isaiah of Jerusalem from God And God says to Isaiah, go tell your king that the Assyrians, the mighty empire, those that you fear, well, I, the Lord, am going to chop them down like a tree to the stump. Now, this is a really good thing to hear if you're the king of Judah. But we need to pause for a second and recognize that sometimes the blessing of God also comes with the curse of God. Because the message is actually twofold. Judah was ha- to have a God that, that saved, they were glad to have a God that saved them in this capacity. But there, in, there was a problem. And that was this. In their heart of hearts, Judah, the small country that you saw on the map that was protected by the mighty hand of Yahweh, did everything, everything they possibly could to be exactly like their enemy, Assyria. Their king wanted to be a dominant figure. He was ruthless and he was cowardly all at the same time. He had his sights set on power, on on wealth, on regional and global prestige, and he longed for dominance. When I was a a kid on the playground as a little boy, I, I remember watching as this one kid was picked on all the time. He was kind of a runt. He was a bit weak. He talked back a lot to other kids. He acted like a pest. But one day, the teacher that everyone respected found out what the kids were doing to this little kid. So he showed up on the playground, and he put the fear of God in everyone if they ever picked on this kid again. And once all the kids realized what what they were doing and, and what would happen to them if they continued to be bullies, they took the appropriate posture and in shame stopped. 
And then they even started to welcome this kid into their mix. But that kid, instead of responding and engaging in in appropriate ways, instead of joining the group and enjoying the change that was caused by the intervention, he realized that he had the backing of the almighty teacher. And uh, this was a teacher that everyone loved and respected. So he became the bully that they once were. He figured that the power of the teacher could be used to his advantage, to his advantage, so he took advantage. And when the teacher found out that this was happening, that this kid took the gift that was offered him, almost like it was a covenant promised and, and used to ruin others, well, it was his turn then to face the wrath. And this is exactly what is happening to Judah. This is exactly what Judah is doing. God had been protecting Judah, but Judah Judah was acting just like Assyria. Judah becomes the kind of empire from which they had been saved. Their powers that be, the people who were in charge, did not keep the covenant. They participated in idol worship. They committed acts of injustice that held their very own relatives in poverty. And the book of Isaiah is this call to remain true to the faith, to be true to the faithful covenant promises of God. But move after move, time after time, we find again and again that the people who are supposed to be a blessing to the nations are indeed exactly like the other nations. They do things just like Assyria. They oppress the poor. They spend time building businesses on unethical business practices, and they do it to line their own pockets. They spent time extending credit with astronomical interest rates so that people are beholden to them forever. They spent time marginalizing people based on where the, what neighborhood they grew up in or what their last name was. This little country of Judah became Assyria. The great empires of the world have these They have these certain values, and the first three are these, keeping the status quo. That's what all empires do. All empires also participate in manipulation, and all empires are greedy. And these three things work in circular motion with one another. So the way of an empire is a constant jockeying for position. There are under-the-table deals. There are handshakes, secret phone calls, agreements, There are alliances. That's why our political system can't get anything done about poverty or immigration or criminal justice or equal rights or racism or gun violence. It's because empires know that the status quo needs to remain intact for the people of power to remain intact. That's what greed is. And And those people will do whatever it takes. That's what manipulation is. Well, in the book of Isaiah, the empire, Assyria, the one that God's people despised, they're the empire. They become that empire. And God is not too happy about this. So God promises that his judgment will fall, not just on Assyria, but now it's coming to Judah. 
God's promise that his judgment is coming to his very own people. The ones that God was, the ones that God was not only saving from the bully, but was, was saving so that they might be able to save others. God's wrath would be upon them and God's judgment was going to be carried out. And Isaiah's message to Assyria was this. Woe to you who keep unjust laws, who issue oppressive decrees, who deprive the poor of their rights, who withhold justice by making widows their prey, and who rob the fatherless. What will you do, Assyria, on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? Who are you going to run to for help? This is God's voice. I'm telling you, nothing is going to remain but a cringe among the captives. Now I can hear the people of Judah, shout like you just shouted a few minutes ago. The cheering that comes from the people of God is loud and it's bold as Isaiah reads this decree. But then the message turns from Assyria onto God's people. And the fear strikes them because they've taken the practices of the schoolyard bully And they've adopted the values of the empire and they've made them their own. And now God's judgment is coming at God's people. This is what Isaiah says. See here, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, he's going to lop off the boughs of the tallest trees with great power. You, You, those who think that you're big stuff, that you're lasting forever, you're like trees that God will topple with ease. And God says, I will cut you down to the root with an axe. The judgment of God is a scary thing. Welcome to church. What do we do with a God like this? I, I think the thing that we do is we find a way to assess our own desires. We, we do a self-inventory. We ask, are we more like the people of God or are we more like Assyria? And if we find that we're more like and have the values of Assyria, then we find ways to repent. And then I think we lean deep into Isaiah's vision because Isaiah shows us that humans directed under God's judgment will also receive God's eternal reward. That's a strange thing. Look what the text says. From that chopped down stump of Jesse, after he looks at Judah and he chops them down, From that chopped down stump of Jesse, there will be a shoot. It'll be like a branch that's growing that eventually will produce fruit. It is a person and the spirit of the Lord will be on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. While God chops that community down to size because they have become like their dreaded enemies, which, which, uh, which the history of Judah shows us that God does, this is actually not the last action taken by God. For many years, I, I used to think that God's judgment was the final, like the final act, like at the end of time, it's, it's, it's the last thing that God will do. God is going to judge everything. But I'm, I'm not sure that's how Isaiah sees it. Instead, I'm coming to believe that God's judgment is not God's final act, but is God's first saving act. 
And if this is so, then God's judgment is actually an act of grace. Because after God is done, the scene is left as a a wilderness. Judah is left with nothing. All the trees, all the most important people, all the powerful people, they're all cut down to size. The axe has been taken to them by God. But then something in that wilderness is spotted. Out of something that feels finished, lifeless, Left behind comes the sign of new life. It's like a sprout growing in a wilderness. And, and one of the stumps, the stumps called Jesse, it has a sprout. God's promise of judgment comes with God's promise of restoration. Those two things go hand in hand. Something new is happening And those who control the old power systems don't know what to do with something new. It's a frightening thing. They only understand the status quo. They only understand and know manipulation. They can only work from a place of greed. I think that we need to take note about something here. We are in a world of empires. Empires. Empires, the powers of this world are insidious and seductive. They, they bend the truth so, so they might be able to tell a history that sounds virtuous when it's really not. Acts of genocide are told as doctrines of discovery. Evicting native people is shaped around progress and manifest destiny. Slavery, they say, opportunity for evangelism. These are lies, truth bent, so that we might be able to tell a history that sounds virtuous when it's not. But it is easy to get swept up in the narrative that the empire provides. Every empire that has ever existed has promised security and prosperity if allegiance is made. And the truth is no empire can hold to the promise because there isn't an empire on the planet, there never has been and there never will be that is capable of changing into something virtuous. That would just cost too much. In fact, empires are massed as powerful when really, really they're quite fragile. Each empire that we know, name it in history, or the ones we have here now, each empire is both threatening and it is threatened at the same time. So those at the top, those in power, do whatever it takes to hold on. And this is what Walter Brueggemann calls a threatening energy. In mythical language, we call it the devil. In biblical language, it's called chaos. In contemporary language, we call it manipulation and fear and greed. The Gospel of John calls it the ruler of this world. The Gospel of Mark calls it legion. Paul calls it principalities. These powers that try to lay claim of our lives and tell us who we are. Uh, These powers have impressive influence, they have enormous momentum, and they're always compelling and coercing us to do things that we shouldn't do, to act in ways that are unlike us. These powers, they try to deny us of our dignity and our self-worth, and they rage against what it means to be human. These are insidious and seductive. And we've all bent to the temptation of these powers. But Jesus says, but they have no power over me. This 
is God's judgment. It is Jesus in this God-saving act. So let's listen for a second, okay? Can you hear the vision? And from the stump, a shoot will grow. And it will not judge the world like it's been judged in the past by powers or empires or those in authority. Human judges or rulers that will hold on to the status quo for all it's worth. He will not manipulate. He will not coerce. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what others whisper in his ears. He will be the righteous judge to the needy and his decisions will be just for the poor of the earth. His word will be the final word and the wicked will have no chance and the center of who he is will be about righteousness. It'll be about making things right and faithfulness will be his foundation. Friends, this is what we call the gospel. The empires that manipulate and control us, that present values and promises that are so flashy and so shiny. Jesus, the shoot from the tree of Jesse, the one from the line of David, is the one who's come to establish something new. And he sees empires for what they are, and he says, they have no claim over me. And therefore, the extra good news is, they have no claim over my community either. Isaiah gives us a picture of what that looks like. In this new community, wolves will lie with lambs. Leopards actually relax in the sun with goats. Calves and lions and yearlings will play together, and a little child will lead the way. Cows will eat alongside the bear. Their young will play together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And the parents of the baby will feel safe when she plays near the nest of the cobra. Can you imagine this kind of world? It is the one that Jesus is wanting to make us into. Pastor Mikhail reminded me this week that this is what Howard Thurman, one of our saints that we spoke of last month, he, he spoke of this way. We need to listen for this truth, this kind of truth that comes from the inside, that you are God's beloved child and you now belong to God's beloved family. And in God's beloved family, there's a whole new way of doing things. This vision of Isaiah becomes the way of the Jesus community. And as Walter Brueggemann says, this little community is actually called a community of shalom, which means peace, but it's more than peace. It means that we are fulfilled. It means that we receive the fullness of who we are, that we live into the wholeness of who we've been made to be. It is the example that Tracy demonstrated for us this evening. It, it, it resides, yeah, the, this community resides in a strange place, this world, and it is a strange tension that we live in, in this world, uh, but not of this world. But, it, it, you know, this little community at the very same time that it is in this world, but not of this world, it is free while the whole world is not. This community holds to a whole new set of values. They seem powerless, a community like us. They seem powerless, powerless, but this kind of new community is ordered and identified by the practice of caring, transforming love, revealing all along that the powers that claim to be in charge really are not. This is why the church, the early church community, could so boldly proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. 
This little community is not about the status quo that comes by, you know, through greed or manipulation, but instead it's about empowering vulnerability. And instead of trying to remain in the center, be the people of power, instead we see that the first will be last and the last will be first. Certainly this community lives in a tangled world. And Advent is the season by which we hope for the coming of the one, not in the way in which we expect, but in the way in which we all need. And he is the one who can entangle it for us. And by the grace of God, as these people are empowered by the vision of Isaiah, they get to see something new and have gotten themselves untangled from the values of this world. And then they say to one another, friends, It is no longer business as usual because they are not like the others. Their perception of the world is different and because they can see differently, they can act and even believe differently. And there is something that this community can see about the world that it cannot see. And that is this, that persons are more precious than property, that human worth is more precious than ideology that community building can't be based on selfish advancement, that there is no way to achieve peace by a policy of war, that there is no public tranquility while there are still policies of racial discrimination. We can see as this community that you cannot have domestic happiness in a society as long as women are second-class citizens. We also can see that you cannot have self-respecting persons on the basis of self-seeking law in order but it's not just what we can see it's also what we know we know this that this world as it is is on its way out and there is nothing that anybody who is in power can do to stop that we also know this that a new world is being given and it's happening right now and we are being invited to get in on it and finally we know that in this new world there is quite a different code of operation at hand The vision of Isaiah is a vision for the whole earth. And the vision of Isaiah is a vision of shalom for everyone. A a whole new idea. And it is ushered in by a new community of empowered vulnerability under the leadership of a king of empowered vulnerability. This is what we could call the gospel of Isaiah. It is a gospel proclaimed to us by Isaiah, but it's a gospel proclaimed to us by Jesus who calls us friends. And now Jesus is not just the demonstration, but he is also the invitation and Jesus is the very empowerment so that we might participate in this new world. But there is a warning because Jesus says to us, and I want to warn you, so I say it to you, A community that hears and lives into Isaiah's vision is a community that can expect to be in conflict with the world that thinks that the empire's ways is still possible. I want to make sure that you know that. Empowering vulnerability is an invitation to give my opportunities away so that my brothers and sisters who are on the margins can now take center place. And frankly, this leads to suffering. And so Jesus very clearly asks, 
Are you ready to carry the burden that I carry? Are you ready to carry the burden that your neighbor carries? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to cross over boundaries from the ways of the empire, from ways of manipulation and status quo and greed into ways of this new community? In her book, Roadmap to Reconciliation, Brenda Salter McNeil tells a story of one denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, that was willing to take these sorts of steps. Uh, They hosted what were called Sankofa journeys in order to do this. Sankofa is is from the Aiken language of Ghana, and the translation just means this, reach back and get it. And it's associated with the African proverb, it's not wrong to go back to that which you have forgotten. So their journey that they take their people on is an intentional cross-relational learning journey that seeks to help Christians look back in order to move forward towards a righteous response to the social ills related to racism. It's an interactive experience. And in this interactive experience, uh, the, the groups visit historic sites of importance uh, in the civil rights movement. And one of the trips is, is to a museum with a collection of graphic uh, photographs um, that, uh, that document the horrific lynchings of black people in America. Now, I'm sure you can imagine the impact. You go into a museum like that, looking at photo after photo, of people who are hanging from trees. Often the photos show white people looking on in celebration. It's an intensely disturbing event and experience for the groups who do it. Uh, But she tells the story of, of one particular group, which it was extremely painful. Most of the members couldn't speak after they had this experience together. And finally, it was the white members who broke the silence. They were quick to defend and eager to defend themselves and put some distance between them and the brutality of what they had just witnessed. They said things like this. They said that they hadn't been committed to those terrible crimes. They said things like, it was such a long time ago. Then a black student stood up in obvious pain, but was still calm, collected, and quiet, and announced her conviction that all white people are evil. Well, from that point, then shouting and disagreement erupted, and it was unclear how this group would move forward. But finally, a white female student stood to speak, and everyone seemed to hold their breath. But instead of another version of, please don't make me responsible for this, she said, "I, I don't know what to do with what I just saw. I can't fix your pain. I can't take it away but I can see it. And I will work the rest of my life to fight for you and for your, and, and for your children so they will never have to experience it. And then she started to weep and the mascara streaked down her cheeks, leaving dark trails. Well, the bus was silent. And then somebody said, she's crying black tears. She was indeed crying black tears. And the author says that the black students on the bus now felt that someone identified with their pain and the experience of their people. And it was a profound moment of identification for all of them. 
And instead of trying to dismiss it or explain it away, the young white woman cried in empathy and in solidarity with the black students in her group. And the author says, this is what it means to see from the perspective of others. And friends, this is Isaiah's vision. Moreover, it's Jesus's invitation. And we now live in this tension where there is an old order at war with a new order. There is an old age, uh, an old, the old age of the empire stands against the new age called the kingdom of God. The day of sin and death is fighting against the day of the Lord. We live in the tension of the old world and the new world, the old eon and the age to come. We live in this tension because the kingdom of God is here and has not yet come in its fullness. And we as the people of God, this little bitty community that sits on 8th Street, we face this tension and have to live into it in real ways. But I want to remind you as our communion servers are preparing that here we are in Advent. And in Advent, we are anticipating the arrival of our God like Isaiah did. Not to make us better, but to make us new. And we get to say to this God, do whatever you will so that we might be able to live into what you would have us. The theme this year, as I said, here at 8th Street for our entire church and our parish and our city and our state and our country, and our world, we are praying for healing. We are praying for transformation. We're praying for our own healing. And what we want to do is we want to anticipate this healing in Advent. Newness, transformation, and healing, though, it comes with a price. It means death to present arrangements. It means death to expectations. It means death to fear and small hopes. It means death to old visions and to poor memories. It means death to position. It means death for those of us who have been able to take advantage of those things offered to us by the empire. But the gospel is actually pain inviting us into new life. And new life, which is our healing, comes only through the agony shared until the day when our Lord comes again, ready to make all things new. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you, and it is our desire to see the vision of Isaiah and to be invited into that vision by the person of Jesus who demonstrated solidarity and who shows us a new way of being. He is the one who establishes a new kingdom, one that does not look like the values or the people or the positions or the posture or the powers of this empire, but his was empowered vulnerability. We saw empowered vulnerability tonight. It came in Tracy's story where she was able to move out of something old into something new because of a community that is about empowered vulnerability. So we ask that we would find a way to see that the gospel for us is a way to move into the lives of our neighbors, to move out of sinner so that they might be able to take center place. 
And we believe that when we do this, you make us new. This is our road to healing. And it is what we long for, for us. We long for, in this community, racial healing, generational healing. We long for physical healing. We long for healing of our leaders. We long for healing of our country. We long for healing of our city. We long for healing wherever we go. We long for healing for ourselves. And so we step in to your way with trust and ask that you would do this good work in us. Do not let us bend to the lies that the empires tell, but to listen to the truth of your way and your new kingdom so that we might receive our healing. We pray these things in the strong and powerful name of our Lord. Amen. You know, the table is the place that demonstrates the essence of God's new future, God's new kingdom, the way that God does things. It's at this table where people find safety, inclusion, healing, transformation. And it's at this table where we might find our own. Uh, This is an open table. It's for everyone who is available and open to the grace and love of God that comes in Christ. It's a way by which we step out of the old ways into the new ways. So I want to remind you that Jesus on the night before he was betrayed by those he came to save, at dinner took the bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant that comes in my blood. And whenever you take it, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. All who are open to the healing, transforming work of Christ are welcome to his table. It is at this table where the playing field is level. His freedom is felt. His justice is real. It is at this table where shalom might be experienced. Everyone who is open to believe this good work of God in Christ and wants to receive this grace from God is welcome to this table. It's here where we find the transforming, healing newness of God. And it begins here. We want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free, our wine is non-alcoholic, but I invite you to come down our aisle with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion here, we receive it, because when it comes from God, it is a gift. So if you're unable to come down our aisle, just wave at Paul, he would love to come and serve you, and uh, when you are ready, my friends, I invite you to come to this table.